Hey, it's Ben Gilbert. And I'm David Rosenthal. And we are the hosts of the Acquired Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories and strategies behind great companies like Berkshire Hathaway, SpaceX, and Airbnb. We're now recording all of our new episodes in video. You can watch now for free here on Spotify. My mom, she was scared because she didn't know what was going to happen next. Do ghosts exist? Your mum actually talked to a ghost. Yeah, she actually got replies. If not, why do we see them? Months and months of living yeah. with a ghost, walking into the kitchen every morning and yeah. seeing a ghost uh, in your kitchen. Yeah, my mum saw practically every day. This is Haunted. Each episode will investigate one person's ghost story. Not just what happened, but why. It feels something that was probably quite serious at the time. When my mum got a priest involved, I think it was. I'm Danny Robbins, and this time we travel back to East London in the 1970s. An unlucky house on a dark street. A little girl who knew things she shouldn't. And a restless spirit that divided a community. This is episode two, The Racist Ghost. I live in Walthamstow, an area of East London that's a perfect snapshot of multicultural Britain. In Old English, Walthamstow means welcome place. And over the years, people have settled here, layer upon layer. Old school Cockney Londoners mingle with Pakistani families, Caribbeans, and more recent Eastern European immigrants. Layers, like wallpaper, each one upon the last. Change, but always something old remains. Are you ready to see the house again? Yeah, yeah, sure. you go down? Yeah, sure thing. This is Tyrone. He's in his mid-40s, a big guy with grey hair and a twinkle in his eye. When he heard I was looking for ghost stories, he contacted me on Facebook to say he'd lived in Walthamstow back in the mid-70s and he had a strange story about the house he grew up in. I, I actually, when I knew I was going to meet you down here, I, yeah. I, I jogged past it yesterday. Oh. I couldn't resist. I wanted like a sort of sneak preview and I, I jogged past and I was like really looking to see if there was anything sinister about it or anything that suggested a kind of darkness, but it's pretty normal looking. The, the only sort of slightly sinister thing I noticed yeah. was that there's a sign on the door saying, bell not working. <laughs> and uh, on the house next door, it yeah. also says doorbell not working. So it could be that there's a kind of sort of spirit sending oh, bad Lord, doorbells down the street. Lord knows, anything's possible, the way she was. She, she is the reason we're here. Moorland Road lies in a secluded corner of Walthamstow, next to the marshes, an almost rural expanse of wetland that have for years been home to tales of ghosts or mysterious wandering beasts. The old Victorian reservoir here has its own chequered past. In 1866, during a cholera pandemic where nearly 6,000 Londoners perished, the East London Water Company was found guilty of supplying contaminated water 
dead eels were found in the water pipes. It's a part of the city that is no stranger to dark events. We moved in in 72. My sister was born in 76 and strange things began happening round about middle of 77, early 78. The strange things revolved around Tyrone's little sister, Michelle. My sister was upstairs in a little cart. Those houses were only two bedroom. She was in my parents' room. My dad's at work, my mum's pottering around doing everyday things. She'd come upstairs, put clothing away and whatnot, and there's my sisters. So we started talking about the Blitz, Hitler, rationing, Churchill. I'm scared of Hitler, mummy. How would she know who Hitler was? Really disturbed my mum a little bit because it was coming out of a two-year-old who knew should know nothing about this. Oh, the bombers come tonight, mummy. Is Hitler coming to get us? From the turn of the screw to the exorcist, poltergeist to the Babadook, kids are a staple of horror stories. Perhaps it's because they become a receptacle for all our adult fears and anxieties. The innocent in their cot and the room that should be empty but is not. And Tyrone's mum was worried. What was going on with her daughter? A little girl who had barely learned to talk, yet spoke like an old soul. We need to hide from the bombs. Who was telling her these things? What went on in that room when she wasn't there? Mummy, mummy, she was here again. One morning, my mum came downstairs as usual, walked into the kitchen. She's come downstairs. So walk, walks down the steps into the kitchen at the back of the house. Yeah. And then, in the middle of what should be an empty room... He's an old lady sitting on a chair who says, good morning to my mum. And what does your mum do at this point? She instantly says, good morning. She, she replies <laughs> back. Because she, she, she's like half asleep. She, she goes to the kettle, turns it on, turns around, and she's gone. It took my mum totally by surprise, because it's not something you expect to see. He's, Somebody come down into your kitchen and there's somebody sitting there. And, and was this just a one-off event? Once that started happening, sort of like, that was sort of like the catalyst for it all beginning. And so how often was this happening? It was getting to the stage where it was sort of like expected. Months and months of living yeah. with a ghost, walking into the kitchen every morning and yeah. seeing a ghost in your kitchen? Yeah. My mum saw practically every day. This was one of the things that first stirred the hairs on the back of my neck. I've met many people who claim to have seen ghosts, heard ghosts, felt them. But Tyrone's mum spoke to one, and it spoke back. Your mum actually talked to a ghost? Yeah, she actually got replies. This wasn't at night, in that peculiar dreamlike state of half-sleep that so often yields visitors from the other side. This was a sunny morning, in her kitchen, as the kids sat playing in the next room. She saw her downstairs in the kitchen, she'd say hello, she sort of like tried to ignore her. I mean, she would, dis she, she would disappear, but when she'd come downstairs, it was like every morning she'd see her. And did she describe what the old lady was like? Just a typical cockney old lady, sort of like... No, no distinguishing marks, nothing 
and towards just an old lady, just sitting there. It's sort of like, this is my home. But it wasn't, it was ours. And it sort of like grew on from that. Every morning she was seeing more of a, more of a, like, morning, morning, morning. <laughs> it's, it's so strange that she's just sort of like, yeah, I'm here. My mum would turn around, make her coffee, and she'd gone. Just, she just wanted, it felt like she wanted to make a presence felt to my mum. That's one of the oddest things about this story, how ordinary it is. Ghosts are so often lords of the manor, hanged highwaymen, tragic spurned lovers. But this was just a little old lady, sitting quietly in her flowery dress, woolly cardigan and glasses, unaware that she didn't live there anymore. So do you think that she was sitting there thinking, who's this who's just walked into my kitchen? That yeah, your, your she, mum she, she, was like she the was ghost to her. as surprised as my mum was that somebody was in a kitchen. Because she probably thought it was her kitchen, my mum thought it was her kitchen. What did your dad make of it? He thought he was, she was having him on, or sort of like, oh. Because my dad was very sort of the earth, he, sort of, he was a lorry driver, so he'd go out to work early, come back late, and all he wanted to do was sleep. So he'd come back, sort of like ask how things were, and he was expecting like normal problems. And except he was hearing stories of old ladies in the kitchen and what my sister was saying, he was going, oh, leave it out. But did, did it cause tensions between them? I think he was getting a little bit fed up with it because it was a constant thing. But then Tyrone's dad saw her too, going up the stairs one day, at the top, a little old lady. And he actually fell down the stairs when he saw her. She kind of bumped into him on the stairs? Well, I, th I think what it is, he saw her on the landing and he lost his footing and slipped down. I only found this out a little while back while I was talking about it with my parents. So Tyrone's family settled into their odd routine of living with a ghost. But in the back of his mum's head, a worry ticked away. Tyrone's sister, Michelle, in her cot upstairs. She comes to me in my room. She tells me about the war. Now, the strange things she said began to make sense. So your mum felt that the stuff that your sister was saying about the Second World yeah. War, that, that that was because the old lady had been yeah. in the room with your sister? Yeah, 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 definitely. The old lady told me. Did they ever use the word possessed? No, no, it, it never came up. It was... But then saying that, it was sort of like... Not a, a word that sort of like... was in regular use, I suppose, back then. I imagine, as a parent, feeling quite unsettled by that. It feels something that was probably quite serious at the time. I, th I think it was. When my mum got a priest involved, I th it, it was. Most glorious prince of heavenly armies, defend us in our battle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of this world of darkness, against the spirits of wickedness in the high places. His enemies are scattered, and those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so are they driven. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked perish at the presence of God. Three years before the events on Moreland Road, a film came out in cinemas. The Exorcist, planting forever in our consciousness a scene that now feels very familiar. A little girl, a Catholic priest, and a terrified parent. But this wasn't Hollywood. 
This was Walthamstow, East London, a little old Victorian house on a quiet street. Your mum must have got pretty scared to go to the extremes of getting a priest to perform an exorcism. Yeah, she was scared because she didn't... I think she was getting to the stage where she didn't know what was coming next. She wants her two-year-old daughter to be normal and what was happening to my sister wasn't normal. My mum, well, the family as a whole, is not religious at all. But from what I'm told, the priest came in, told the old lady, you're free to remain, just leave the children alone. So did it work? She wasn't seen as much, but she still made a presence felt. She certainly ended up leaving my sister alone. But the last few months had taken its toll on Tyrone's parents. Truth be told, I think it was one of the reasons why we did actually move in the end. It wasn't the best of things. But, um... How, how do you mean? Well, I, I think they were just... They just wanted you to move away from it. They wanted you to sort of like put it behind them. And then we moved out. Most ghost stories end when someone moves out. But not here. With the tale of Moreland Road, this is where it starts to get nasty. They had moved on, but the old lady hadn't. Uh, after we left, we still had friends who lived uh, in the street, and we kept in contact with them like Christmas times and birthdays and whatnot. And they were telling us that people were moving in and not staying very long. So every so often you get a report back saying, yeah, you know those people who moved into your house? Yeah. They, they've gone. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've moved away. She's done it again. The house at the end of Moreland Road was developing a bad reputation. It seemed to be like a case of either six months or 18 months, and that was it. They were gone. We were there for over, what, five, six, seven years? They, they weren't even lasting like a year in some cases. But the old lady seemed to be targeting a certain group of people in particular, because some residents lasted less time than others. She did seem to have a particular type. Tyrone edges around this, trying to find the right words. She didn't like the Pakistani families. This sweet old little old lady was a racist and she was frightening these people away. And apparently that carried on for a good number of years. At least until my friends moved away. She was still doing it. So the little old lady who was in your kitchen every morning turned out to be quite nasty. Yes, she did. She was nasty, but not in the classic ghost demonic sense. She was nasty in the uh, everyday kind of sense. Not that racism is an everyday thing, but yeah, she was a racist old company lady. Just because she's dead, it, it, it doesn't mean she's going to change her outlook on life, because I don't know when she passed away, so I'd imagine 40s, 50s, so I'd imagine she was, like a good many at that time, were a little bit limited in their outlook, and she still stayed the same, even though life moved on. All but, but, if, sorry to interrupt, it yeah, feel, yeah. feels like it changes, because with you, I mean, yeah, it's creepy that she's yeah. talking for your sister, but it doesn't feel threatening. No. But then suddenly you get into a stage where she's actually chasing people out of the house, forcing them to leave. Yes. From what I can gather, she wasn't 
throwing anything about her. She wasn't like a poltergeist or anything like that. I think she was just making her presence felt that she didn't like who was living there and she wanted them out. And do you think that you were okay because you were white? I can only think that's the case. I Google racist ghost to see if it's a thing. Do ghosts discriminate? I find hardly anything. And then I get talking to a guy called Roger Clark. He's the author of a book called A Natural History of Ghosts. He studied hauntings throughout history. I want to know what the hell he makes of this. So Roger, a racist ghost in 70s London, does this surprise you? Uh, not entirely. There is this idea that ghosts are this sort of actually like a sort of almost like a shred of a personality that somehow lingers on. So in some ways, maybe that's what gets left behind. Maybe that's the ghost. It's, so you just, you could just get one nasty shred of a person left behind. You yes. Could... It's sort of consistent with one theory of ghosts that a, a, a sort of part of the personality gets left behind, which is why ghosts are often described as being confused or whatever. They're almost behaving in a brain-damaged way. Uh, it's the idea that they're not really all, all there and that their essential part has has left and there's just this strange bits of personality still drifting around in the in the atmosphere to understand this story i feel like i need to get my head around what wolfhamster was like back in the 1970s this was the age of national front marches far-right skinheads walking down the main street to intimidate the new arrivals when i asked people one name kept coming up Abdul Malik Taylor. He's London's first ever Muslim tour guide, and he grew up in Walthamstow, not far from Moreland Road. Where are we headed? We're, We're going to be yeah, crossing the road from the zebra crossing just over here, and just going around the corner. There's a house there which was Walthamstow's first mosque. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. And so you you know this area well. You grew up around here. I did. Yeah, yeah. I grew up. Uh, my mother still lives here as well. Tell me. For those first people who came over and settled here, like, what was it like in the, in the 60s, the 70s and in the 80s? What was it like to be Indian or Pakistani moving here to Walthamstow? It was a tough time. This was the era of what was called the Pakibashan era. It didn't matter if you were Sikh or Hindu or Muslim, brown skin meant you were Paki. And this was to do with a lot of rivalry with, um, well, from attacks from the NF, the National Front. They were quite active in this locality. Um, so this is hardcore far-right Oh, people. yes, yes, yeah, hardcore far-right territory, if you like. And you, you, as a kid growing up, did you experience stuff like this? Can you, can you talk about this I, at first hand? <laughs> I was called um, a few times Packy. Um, I do remember that by some characters that look like a, a typical NF supporter, like, you know, skinhead. I do recall also um, speaking to some other friends as well. They do remember that they were um, being told by their parents to make sure that the letterboxes were actually padlocked from the inside. Because what was happening was that people were um, pouring petrol through the letterboxes and then obviously they were just... Um, no, much it goes in through the letterbox and the houses would be, um, you know, exploding basically, could, um, would be burning. I wonder, did someone on Tyrone Street know the old lady when she was alive? Was she someone's racist neighbour before she became the racist ghost? There must be a record of who lived in, in that house. You can then. check the electoral registers and find I, out who I, was I there. Just, would you no. like to know who the old yeah, lady was? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to find out who she was. Who was the racist ghost? Yeah, who was the racist ghost? 
And so, on one of those rainy days that London does so well, when everything seems grey and soggy, I took myself into the cosy warmth of the Walthamstow Local History Archive. The bookcases are lined with electoral registers, covering every street in the area. I sat there and for a whole day poured over the history of Moreland Road. All of the house's former inhabitants laid out before me, layer upon layer, in search of the old lady. 1939, Albert George Beard, Edward Beard, Florence Maria Beard, George Beard. 1946, Arthur F. Arnold, Elsie M. Arnold, Jane E. Arnold, Joseph H. Arnold, Mary E. Stevens. After I'd waded for the Elsies, Florences and Peggies, I turned my attention to those who'd lived in the house after Tyrone to see if people really had moved out as quickly as he thought. And then I noticed something. Something wrong. So I spent a whole day in the archive, in the museum, going through the electoral registers, going right back to 1939, and I found something that is... It's not what I expected at all. I need to talk to Tyrone. What I've found out changes everything. So I've been through the electoral register and I've got a list of the people who lived in your house. So we're looking for someone who was 40s into early 50s, we think. I'd imagine so, okay. yes. Yeah. So Mary E. Stevens, 1946, Peggy Osborne, 49, and in 1955, we've got a Rose Bestley. So th these are our possible candidates for the old lady. More than likely, yeah. But then what I also checked going through is about the people moving out and how long yeah, people lasted yeah. there for. So um, I, I was looking through and seeing, because you were saying like every six months to a year, people moving yeah, out. Yeah. And um, so after you, so I found you, you're here. Yeah. And then 1980, yeah. we get some people uh, moving in. They're there for three yeah. years, though. Yeah. Then after that, there is a period when people do seem to kind of move quite quickly. 87, there's no one registered there. And then 1990 onwards, it's the same family. The same, really? So they've been there the whole time, 1990 to the present day, I think. Oh, right. Um, but so it doesn't quite bear out that thing about the no, six no, months no, to a year. No. But the thing that, that I noticed as I was going through this, it came as a kind of shock to me. I then started finding myself writing down the names of Asian families, Indian, Pakistani yeah, families yeah. who'd moved to the street. I think the first names are kind of the late 60s and then the 60s into yeah, 70s and yeah. 80s, you know, more and more families from India and Pakistan moved to the street. And we get, you know, names like Hussain and Mahmood and, and Yassin. So obviously the yeah. street is changing a lot. But interestingly, your house does not. There's no Asian names here. Oh. There's no Pakistani names here at all. I don't know what to say on that one. It's become a bit of an urban myth that your family ghost that you experienced mm. in the hands of the community <laughs> has kind of become like this kind of this folklore almost. The racist ghost was an urban myth, a folk demon that sprang out of the anxieties of a changing, unsettled community. We get the ghosts we want. That's what it morphed into. But it started as a family haunting, a worried mother, her two-year-old daughter and an old lady in the kitchen. At first I felt quite disappointed. Now I feel 
oddly reassured because I, I think maybe she wasn't racist and, and maybe maybe she was actually quite a nice little old lady who was chatting to your sister and being friendly saying hello to your mum every morning well look they said she never did us any harm i, I can't wait to tell my parents that because they, they've all been under the impression that she was constantly chasing all these different families out how do you feel now knowing that she might not have been? I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't I, I, want to feel like I've, no, I've spoiled your story in any way, but actually no, no, no. I feel like it's, it's almost like a happy ending now. Oh, I feel bad for maligning her now. Thanks to Tyrone for telling me his story. If you've had a ghostly experience, we'd like to hear from you. We're on Facebook and Twitter, or send an email to haunted at panoply.fm. If you like the show, why not review us, rate us, or just tell someone you know? Haunted is a Chalk and Blade production for Panoply. It was written and presented by me, Danny Robbins. The producers are Ruth Barnes, Laura Sheeta, and Simon Barnard. Music and sound design is by Pascal Wise. Jesse Brown painted our artwork. Special thanks to Ryan Dilly and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Until next time, sleep well. Are you ready to finally access your intuition, to dive deeper into your soul's purpose, to manifest abundance, joy, peace, and ease, and let it all be fun? Well, if so, come check out the Highest Self Podcast. It's the number one spirituality podcast, and now we're on video here on Spotify. My name is Sahara Rose. I'm here to be your spiritual bestie, and I can't wait to share my grounded approach to spirituality with you. So tune into Highest Self Podcast, and I'll see you there.